It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Kate. It goes without saying that the era we live in is fraught with some of the most extreme changes in politics we've seen in a very long time. In his new book, On Tyranny, Timothy Snyder implores us to run for office, to be involved in making change and bringing new voices to the table. And on today's show, we're going to speak with Judy Chambers from Penn State Extension to talk about what is involved with this process in Pennsylvania. Thank you for being here, Judy. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So tell us about how the program got started and how you came to be involved in it. Well, Penn State Extension, uh, uh, first of all, a little shameless advertising. We, uh, you probably know us from 4-H, Master Gardeners, the, the folks who work with cows and chickens and that kind of stuff. But we also have some community development focus, which is part of where I work. And one of our concerns with looking at communities and building strong communities is that there are not there are often not enough people engaged in the public process. They're not involved with their local government. Pennsylvania has one of the most fragmented systems of local government in the country. There are a couple of states that can compete. But we have over 2,500 municipalities below the county level, mm-hmm. little townships and boroughs and, and some larger cities. And the vast majority of those have under... Uh, 5,000 people. So Pennsylvania is full of these really small municipalities, and often there are not enough people to govern in those municipalities. There are townships, boroughs, school districts where seats go unfilled, and then the people who have been elected find somebody they appoint to fill those seats, Mm -hmm. which is not really the democratic representative process the way we wanted it to happen. How did we end up in the system where we are so fragmented? Um, you know, that's not an area I have a lot of depth in. Okay. We just sort of said it is what it is. Here's where right. it is today. But an interesting little uh, fact about that, there have been many attempts over the years to merge levels of government. And uh, several times the legislature has passed legislation that is uh, incentivizing governments to merge, but they don't do it very often. But uh, many years ago, there were about three or four times as many school districts in, in Pennsylvania as there are now. We still have 500. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Mercersburg, uh, the Tuscarora area school district has one high school, one middle school, and four elementary schools. That used to actually be like five different school districts. Hard to imagine. Wow, out so, there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. All right, so your program is specifically how to run for office in Pennsylvania. Right. And you spoke about getting involved at the grassroots level and running for office. What I'm observing in, in the national scene is that when people talk about running at the grassroots level, they're often talking about running for the state house for the state legislature. And that's a pretty high bar to start at. And a lot of people get their start. A lot of our current state legislators have gotten their start at the township or borough level, maybe the county commissioner level, and then moved up. Mm -hmm. So the big message that we're trying to get out to people, and we're doing this through workshops, um, we're doing it through, we have webinars online, and we also have at Penn State Extension, we call it an online course, but it's really just... um, a series of videos and texts and quizzes. It's set up like a class, but you can take it in 10-minute segments while you're okay. and having a cup of what's coffee. What's the URL for that? Uh, Pens- it's extension.psu.edu, 
And then if you search for something like local government, the okay. course will show up right away. Okay. So we have that that's available all the time, too. And it gives kind of an introduction to how Pennsylvania local government is structured and then how you can get involved. How is Pennsylvania local government structured? So it's pretty weird. Uh, there are 67 counties and... Well, there are two rules in Pennsylvania local government. One is that there's an exception to every rule. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And I forgot right now what the second one is. But the first one, so there are 67 counties, and they are all subdivided below the county level except Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of Philadelphia and the county. It's the one first-class city, isn't that? It is the one (laughs) first-class city in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That's right. What does that mean? Okay, so Pennsylvania classifies its levels of government counties, school districts, townships, um, cities, in classes, and and typically that's done by population. Okay. For townships, it's done by population density, how many people per square mile. But for all the other levels, it's it's, um, population. So Franklin County is a fourth-class county, and the first-class county... Uh, which would be Philadelphia, is the one with the most population in it. And so there are different state laws and regulations depending on what class of government you are. So, uh, for instance, in Franklin County, as a fourth-class county, to run for county commissioner, you need 250 signatures on a petition. In Adams County, which is a fifth-class county, so it's a lower class because it's a little smaller in population size, you only need 100 signatures. And there's some differences in in uh, the way things are financed, that kind of seems thing. The lower the the class is, there's more control by the state. It seems is that the case? Well, sometimes, yeah. In terms of things like financing, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I'm not sure with school districts if the, if that's a yeah. factor or not. Well, I know with the boroughs, there's a borough code that is the state code that boroughs have to follow. Um, Unless you want to uh, declare home rule, I guess. Right, right. All right, wait, let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Okay. What is home rule? Give us some definitions here. Okay, so I'm going to back up (laughs) one more step before that. We said that counties are all subdivided. So within each county, there are cities, townships, and boroughs. Not all counties have all of those. Franklin County doesn't have any cities. Okay, but... All of the land in Franklin County is subdivided into another municipality. So when you live in Franklin County, you automatically live in a borough or a township, and you also live in Franklin County, and you also live in the state of Pennsylvania. And you also live in a school district, and the school district may not be contiguous with the municipal boundaries either. So you're, you're involved in four, govern, four levels of government from the state down when you set foot in the state of Pennsylvania, except okay. Philadelphia. Okay. So now, home rule is, um, as, as Jeremy said, local governments are, um, they're instruments of the state, so the state passes these legislation codes, which are just collections of laws. There's a borough code that tells the borough officials how to do everything. Uh, and it's very prescriptive. You can only do what's in the borough code mm-hmm. as a local government. Home rule is when a local government decides that it wants to create its own rules of engagement. They get a study commission, they create a home rule charter, they put it up for referendum for every citizen who's registered to vote in that municipality to vote on, and they adopt that. They can do 
anything they want as long as it's not in conflict with state law. Okay. So they still have to follow the rules, but they set a lot of their own ideas. And Carlisle Borough just yeah. became home rule a couple of years Why ago. Why wouldn't a, a, a municipality go for home rule? Well, it's much more self-regulatory. You have to... Uh, more work? Have, well, you have to be more accountable yourselves to what you're doing and whether you're following the rules that you want to follow. I see. So they can just say, oh, you know, nothing we can do about it. Well, That's true. Yes, they can. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, it doesn't change some of the critical and reasons that a lot of a lot of folks run for local offices is taxes, right? Yeah. And so it doesn't change the kinds of taxes you can levy or how you can tax. It does how change you can levy those. how high you can raise. I mean, the borough code sets a limit on how high property taxes can go for one. Right. So right. yeah. And so running. Let's get back to this: the running for office. I want to actually be walked through it. Okay. What's my first step? Okay. What are you running for? Borough, township, school I board? Want to be, uh, I want okay. to be a county commissioner. Being county commissioner is very much more of a full-time commitment. Okay. There aren't a lot of county commissioners out there who try to keep another source of employment while they're being a county commissioner, as opposed to borough, township, and school district, where we can all do that. We can have our day jobs and our families and still participate in local government. Okay, so where's so a good a place difference. to start? So big, a great place is either your borough or township or your school district. Okay. And this is a great time to be talking about this because uh, Pennsylvania, by the way, Pennsylvania votes every year. We get to vote every year in Pennsylvania. And great. this year, on in odd number of years, are municipal elections. So this May is a primary, and November is a general election for local government offices. First thing you need to do is get on the ballot, and the way you do that is by getting collecting petition signatures. Okay. State of Pennsylvania says you can only collect petition signatures, you can circulate a petition for a very defined period of time from mid-February to mid-March. Don't ask me the exact date because I don't okay. have it. Now, is this is this what is called a nomination petition? It is. Okay. It is. And so you will go to the county office, county elections office. Gene Byers, our deputy chief clerk, is the county elections office person. And like most county elections people, she loves nothing better than for you to come in, talk to her now when there's time, Learn how to do it. Learn how to follow the rules. Because the rules for how you circulate a petition and who can sign it are, are very complex. It's the hardest thing you ever do as a local government official is figure out how to get on the ballot. <laughs> really? Yeah. Once you're on, there's much less paperwork, but okay. there's hardly any. It's February 19th this year. Thank to, you, Jeremy. Begin, you're okay. <laughs> and so it's till the middle of March, I think the 16th of March, something like that. And that's the only time you can circulate. You do that. You have to file a statement of financial interest, which is an ethics statement. Um, which says what? It says that um, you're not doing business with the state of Pennsylvania um, for more than a minimum amount of money. So it doesn't, okay. you can't be influenced by your financial, you don't have a financial conflict of interest. Okay. Okay. Good thing we hold that uh, accountability standard to everyone in government. <laughs> so I'm going to pass on that one. So you do this. You, you file your information with the county. Can this be done online? No. you got to go in physically and do it. You have to okay. go in physically and do it, and your petition signatures have to be 
on the petition. And um, if you're a Democrat, you have to get Democratic signatures. If you're a Republican, you have to get Republican signatures. They have to be people who live in your jurisdiction. It's very tricky. You could live in Guilford Township and have a Chambersburg post office. So if you're living in Guilford Township and signing a petition for a Guilford Township supervisor, you have to write Guilford Township as your address, even though it's not a mailing address. So there are lots of little things that you need to learn. The thing about it, it, you can't get cross parties to get signatures. Now, why is that? What if a Republican supports your idea or a Democrat supports you as a candidate? They're not allowed to? So all the petition is doing is saying that these people from your own party endorse the fact that you can run. Okay. And there are positions that can. It's called cross-filing. So school board members can cross-file. They can circulate a petition for Republicans and one for Democrats, but the petition itself has to be circulated by somebody from that party. So I had a good friend and neighbor who ran for school board, and she's a Republican, and she would circulate the Republican petition. Her husband's a Democrat, and he would circulate the Democratic petition. Okay, so you got to stay in your lanes for sure. you got to stay in your lanes. you got to be careful about all this. But once you get through that and on the ballot, you are pretty much good to go. And in a lot of local elections, a lot of local campaigns, it doesn't cost a lot of money. You might get signs that you stick, you know, the yard signs. You might get some kind of handout that you're giving to people. But unless it's a highly competitive race, if it's below county commissioner level, it's probably something you can afford out of your own pocket or with some small fundraisers. Looking online, I noticed that there's a $250 limit that if you spend above that, you have to start accounting for your expenses. Does that sound right? Yeah, there's a campaign financing report. And one of the things we teach at our workshops when we walk through all of this, and and again, Gene Byers can help people with this, is that there's a waiver you sign that says, um, yeah, I'm planning to raise I'm planning to raise more than $250 per reporting period in their four different reporting periods. And then if you don't actually raise that money, you don't have to report. Mm-hmm. It's okay. kind of a backwards yeah. situation, but Jeremy's nodding. He knows, okay, he so knows this drill. I've, I've met with Gene Byers. I've yep. got my paper. I've got my nomination petitions. Now, at some point, I've got to hit the street and get these signatures. How do I know where to go? Ah, so there are county lists, and they are available to you as a candidate free of charge. And depending on what county you live in, it's a printout, it's a, a flash drive, you know, it's, it's electronic, it depends what county, They're very, they, they vary in that. But you can get a list that will give you, you can get a street list, which tells you by street where all the Democratic voters are or where all the Republican voters are, so you know exactly where to go. Okay. I know in Adams County, some of that's available electronically. I know a candidate who put it on his iPad and just walk down the street with his iPad checking off where he wanted to go. You can also get lists of things like super voters. A super voter is somebody who's, who votes in every election. So depending on the county, that might be who's voted in the last four elections. Mm-hmm. You might use that to encourage people to vote for you, or you might use that to call your list if you want to focus on people who don't vote every election and you want to bring out those extra votes. So as we're going through this process, something's occurring to me is that in wanting to run for office, you need to bring some kind of agenda to the table. Do you have thoughts on how people can form an agenda that can be productive and maybe move things forward? Or 
you know, how do we approach that? Oh, yeah. Rather but, than just, I hate being taxed or, you know. Yeah, because you know what? You asked me what the first step was, and I said getting on the ballot, and right. that's not the first right. step. <laughs> the first step is doing your homework and being informed. It is amazing and disappointing how many elected officials at the local level attend their first meeting to be sworn into office. They run for township supervisor or school board or borough and have never gone to a meeting. So go to the meetings, do the homework. Mm -hmm. Most municipalities now have things like minutes on their websites. If they don't have a website with minutes, go to the go to the um, office, the municipal office for what what office you're running for and and ask for the minutes. It's public information and get several months worth of minutes. Get four months' worth or six months' worth of minutes and read them because that really gives you a flavor of what are the issues here? What am I going to be concerned with if I'm part of the governance of this community? Mm -hmm. And what's the culture like? You can tell a lot about whether folks get along or not just by reading the minutes of the meetings. Or going to a meeting. (laughs) Or going to the meetings themselves. So I really encourage people to do that first before, before they even get started. But, you know, we at Penn Station... Penn State have a, a pretty um, not-so-subtle message about agendas for folks, and that is that if you're a single-issue candidate, Don't if run. you're running for just zoning, find another way to deal with that. Go be on the zoning hearing board because you have to care about your whole community, and you have to realize that if you're on borough council, you're also worried about parks and recreation, you're worried about streets, you're worried about storm drainage, you're worried about economic development, you're worried about diversity and encouraging inclusiveness in your community, or at least we hope so, you know, those kinds of things. So there's a lot going on, and if you only have one issue, there are other ways to be involved in in local government, primarily boards and commissions. That's one thing. There's so much uh, for you to be involved in when you're a a council person, and you did talk about how... um, as a commissioner, that's a full-time job. But I always said when I was on council, you know, this could be a full-time job. It's just a matter of how much time you're willing right. to devote to it and how much time you have to devote to it because it could be a full-time job if you wanted it to be um, easily. It's just that you you can't get, borough code says you can't get paid more than about $5,000 a year or something like that if you're a borough council person. But, right. Uh, not, not so if you're a commissioner. So <laughs> one of the things, building on that, that we also encourage, because we don't want to scare people away. We don't want somebody to say, oh, I don't know anything about storm drains or streets. I'm not equipped to be a borough council member or a township supervisor. Sure you are. Sure you are. Because, A, you have staff. You have people who work full-time for these municipalities, Mm -hmm. and they are professionals, and they know what they're doing. And second of all, you have this layer of of, uh, lawyers and engineers and folks, consultants who work with the municipality who inform you about right. things. And thirdly, there are state-level associations, like there's a state association of boroughs, there's a state association of township officials that do a lot of training. Um, they have conferences and webinars and workshops. So if you need to get smart on an issue, it's not that hard to do. Most people walk in not knowing a lot about the breadth of local government. Do you find that on the local level, a lot of these differences politically between us kind of melt away? You know, I do. I do. Now, I get pushback from that when I'm working in southeast Pennsylvania. They say, oh, no, we know exactly who the D's and the R's are. (laughs) But around here, um, it's often very difficult to tell 
who are the Democrats and who are the Republicans because you're not working on party lines. Right. You can tell who's the fiscal conservative. Sure. You can tell who cares more, is passionate about parks. Look at our Franklin County commissioners. You don't see them split very often on party lines. We all know who's the who are the Republicans right, and who's sure. the Democrat, but we don't. They don't tend to behave like that, and they haven't. It's been a great tradition in Franklin County. That is really great to hear, because problems don't get solved when people become ideological and refuse to move. Well, you know, there's some characteristics that you ought to have if you're going to run for local office, and one of them is being able to work with other people, because you can't get anything passed with one vote. Right, right, right. right, And that's another thing about Chambersburg, 10 council members, it's always seemed like a big number to me for a borough of our size, but that's what it is. Yeah, you know, Gettysburg <laughs> Borough recently downsized their, yeah. their council. Well, you talk about it's hard to find people to run for office, and then when you have a town of 20,000 people and you have 10 council members, yeah. it's, yeah. I don't know. So I've made it to school board. What am I doing? That's an interesting question. In school board, it's a little different from boroughs and townships because at the school board level, you're really flying at the 60,000-foot level, you're doing policy work. You have one employee, and that's the superintendent. You hire, fire, supervise the superintendent, but he or she is in charge of everybody else. Not always the case at the local government level. Sometimes, whether there's a manager or not, uh, will dictate whether elected officials actually get involved in supervision. Uh, It sometimes happens. But at the school board level, you're working with the superintendent, So the real big issues for school board members are uh, you'll you'll be negotiating because almost all school school boards have at least one bargaining unit. Usually the teachers have a teacher's union. But you'll be negotiating contracts with those kinds of folks. You'll be overseeing uh, the issuance of bonds and debt, which can be big numbers when it's a school district. You'll be helping to guide policies in general, like we want to increase STEM education Mm -hmm. in our high schools. But you won't be working at the level of, these are the textbooks I think we should use, or these are the colors of the marching band uniforms. But you also, and this is often, in my opinion, unfortunately, the reason people run for school board is you get set school tax tax rates. Of course. And school taxes are always more expensive. Deal. Right. They're the big one because that's that's really about what are the services we want to deliver and what are the revenues we need to deliver those services. And if we don't choose to levy enough taxes to bring in those revenues, what is it that we don't want to do? And on this topic, I would recommend everyone attend a school board meeting at least once. Because you'll get the reality of what's going on presented in front of you, not filtered through any news source or through a friend. And Absolutely. It's, um, it's eye-opening. It's definitely eye-opening. What kind of time commitment does someone need to have to run for any of these positions? So most of these, uh, well, all of these municipalities and, and school boards are required to meet at least monthly. Mm-hmm. They have to do that. Many of them meet twice a month. Uh, it just depends on, on the municipality. And that's one of the things you want to find out by reading minutes and going to the, the website. Usually at a borough or township, there are committees too. There might be a street committee or a personnel committee or a finance committee. So those are, ge- and you don't have to have those, but that's how most 
local governments are organized. So those are usually divided up between the, the councilmen and women to, okay. to serve on those various things. And they might meet once a month. They might meet less often. Uh, if you're on the planning commission uh, as an elected official, which you can be, mm-hmm. uh, you might be involved a little more often. School board members get appointed to represent the school district in various ways uh, with the Lincoln Intermediate Unit, which is the larger oversight agency of education okay. regionally, um, with a Votech school. With uh, There are a whole lot of different committees sure. and organizations. So you can probably count on two or three meetings a month for any, any of these groups. You need time to prepare for the meetings. Sure. I was going to say, it's not just about showing up to these meetings. You, no, you're you doing get some in, reading. You're getting information in advance. And if you've got a good superintendent, manager, administrator, you're getting some summary information and not being handed 80-page engineering reports and being expected to read the whole thing. You know, there is something about getting prepared for meetings that a lot of folks find off-putting, and that's the municipal finances, trying to read those balance sheets, trying to make sense of them, trying to understand what these numbers are about, because they can be very difficult to read. And municipal finance isn't like any other kind of finance. So you can be a banker or a CPA and pick up a borough audit and not quite know what you're looking at at first, because Mm -hmm. the terminology is different and the way things are tracked are different. So... We always try and make sure people understand it's not you, it's the system. Right. Just learn it. So there's this, <clears throat> what you'd call a rather steep learning curve once you've uh, made it to office. A little. It depends what area. In terms of actual running for office, what kind of commitment, time commitment should people be looking at or willing to give? You know, it really depends on the size of the municipality. Let's say here. Whether the office is, is competing. If you're competing with other people, for the same seat, mm-hmm. you're going to invest more time in thinking about how to campaign. Mm-hmm. And we at Penn State stay away from campaign advice, but that's funny because that's exactly where I think people would be kind of most needy. Yeah, you know, how yeah. do I structure this so it makes sense as a message? So what we tell people because we get those questions all the time is go talk to somebody who's already in office mm-hmm. who would encourage your campaign mm-hmm. and find out how to do it. And when we do live workshops, we have panels. Jeremy's, I think, participated in one of the panels. And we talk about what goes on, what it's like in real life to to be a local official. Because our our underlying message is is you can do this. It's not that hard. You can do this. But uh, when we get campaign questions, we often have our panelists saying, this is what I did. Mm -hmm. This is how I approached it. And they're the folks who can give you the good advice. Mm -hmm. You can also go to your uh, uh, Democratic or Republican Central Committee. And we ought to talk about independence. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get at. How do you run as an independent in Pennsylvania? You cannot run in the Pennsylvania primary as an independent. They're closed primaries. You have to be an R or a D. If you're in the Green Party, you can't vote in the primary either. Um, So there is another nominating petition that is filed by independent candidates, and you can start filing it shortly after the primary through August, I believe. There's a long period of time, and the number of signatures you need on the petition is based on a formula that has to do with like 2% of the people who voted for that seat last time. It's complicated. Go see Jean Byers at the courthouse, and she will tell you. Go see Jean Byers. Go see Jean Byers. You see a little 
theme going on here. <laughs> yeah. Talk to your county elections people. They really want to help you get on the ballot. Not so get if someone off. comes to you as an independent or in Franklin County as a Democrat, I mean, it can be discouraging because the votes tend to go one way all the time. Uh, what's your message to people who aren't going to run as a conservative? <laughs> As a conservative Democrat? If you just put D in front of your name, I think locally you're, you're putting yourself kind of outside where most people It always are. depends well, on the race. I it would push just... back on that. You know, we were just talking about how much of local government politics isn't about, isn't about party affiliation. So if you've got issues you really care about in the community like downtown revitalization or expanding parks mm -hmm. or creating more opportunities for kids to stay at home instead of leaving town when they get out of school if you're running for school board. If you've got that kind of issue, you can resonate with people across the party spectrum. You, you at least have a shot at local office, state senate or uh, uh, the house, not so much probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've lived here long enough. Um, in terms of a, a successful, let's say I'm running for school board, how much money should I be willing to spend? I and mean, what's realistic just for this position? I mean, you could obviously say, you know, the sky, it's unlimited, but what would be a realistic number for me to kind of budget? So I actually don't know, but if I were looking at school board position, I would look at, do I have competition? Am I running as part of a, a slate? Are there three or four candidates who can band together mm -hmm. and run at the same time? And can we then, you know, commingle our expenses and our, our revenues to, to deal with that. And again, I'd go back to somebody who had run before and gotten on and say, what did it cost you? Ask a couple of people. Get a sense of what that is. Uh, because, you know, it's going to be different for every municipality, every, every school board. Uh, there's also going to do it differently. There's a difference in how many signatures you have to get depending on the office you're running for. At the local government level, school board, township, borough, it's 10. Okay. So we always That's tell people, we always tell people, get 20. Get 20 because um, if you are running for office and Jeremy is your opponent and would like to see you get taken off the ballot, he's going to come examine your petition <laughs> signatures and say, this one is not valid for whatever reason. They wrote the address wrong or... That's not their real name. They go by wow. Bubba. But and that happens, Pete. Oh, happens. I, don't, I don't doubt it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it happens all the time. It so does. we always say double the number of signatures you need, and then you'll be protected. Interesting. So, so the fight gets started right away. If there's a competition. Think, but a lot of times when you add up, and I have, I have been unsuccessful over the years trying to quantify how many um, unfilled offices there are in local government in Pennsylvania. The, that data just does not exist and would be very difficult to create. We'd have to look at every single county, every single mm -hmm. election cycle. But when you add up the number of, of empty offices, Mont Alto often doesn't have enough people running for council. Mercersburg sometimes doesn't have enough people running for council. So there's seven council people, they have five people at the first meeting. They don't have enough people. Um, and you add to that all of the uncontested offices where one person runs over and over and never has any competition. And that's fairly common. That is very common. What does that say about Apathy. our level of participation? Apathy. We take yeah. democracy for granted. We do. We do. Less, well, what is it, it? Half the, less than half the population even votes. 
when you yeah, uh, when, when you when you become a public official, you open yourself up for public criticism. I'll just say that. So you put yourself out there. So um, you know, it's, let's, yeah, it's, let's, it's, it's you kind of have to uh, gird yourself. It's, so it's we not were, for everybody. We were talking about desirable characteristics for an elected official. We thick rec- skin. Yeah, thick, thick skin, skin is yeah, absolutely one. one of them. Has yep. to be one of them. Um, Pete Lajigani, former mayor of Chambersburg, who was on our panels for a long time, used to tell people. I read all the blogs, but I don't reply to any of them. Yeah, no. That's it's better that you don't even. Yeah, don't don't read the blogs. Yeah, don't, go, <laughs> don't go down that rabbit hole. Stay off. Don't of it. read the comments on Facebook. So some of the things you should think about if you're serious about running for office is, what's the impact on your family, mm-hmm. uh, and your neighbors, and your job? Is your day job one where you can absolutely not ever get involved? Um, you can probably still manage it. But you might think about the time commitment and what right. you're going to need. Take it seriously. Uh, think about what I kindly refer to as the mother-in-law factor, which is if you have to, if you want to vote for something that's unpopular with the rest of your family, how's that going to go down? Because <laughs> yeah, that happens. Sure. Those kinds of things happen. So really think about that level of commitment first be- before you step up to make sure you can do it. Well, I really love what you're doing. Um, because I do think we've reached a point where people do take our democracy for granted. And, but even despite that, what we just saw happen with the uh, newly elected Congress, a lot of first-time people, a lot of women, um, a lot of people getting involved. So I think your point is very important that it's at the local level that you really feel the impact of your elected officials. There's a lot of energy right now about running for office. And from my perspective, um, professionally, you know, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. Right. Personally, I have an opinion about that. But professionally, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. Get involved, get engaged, and, 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 and participate in governance. Um, I just recently saw some new data from the uh, Center for Rural Pennsylvania, which is a great place for easily accessible and user-friendly data, if you ever need any. Okay. Um, and, and they were tracking the average age of municipal officials. <laughs> oh, boy. And it's still pretty high. It's still up in the 50s. Okay. You know, we just need a lot more young blood. Yeah. Yeah, you need young people to get involved, and we need young people to vote. Has there any been, ever been someone who you tried to talk out of running for office? We've had people self-select out of that process, and we think that's a good thing. We think we do as as good a service mm-hmm. to someone by saying, gee, maybe I should start somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You probably see those one-issue people come through every now and then. Yeah, yeah I was thinking of yeah. somebody who has some rather noxious sentiments that maybe you said, maybe this isn't for you. <laughs> you know, we open every workshop with our Penn State uh, Statement on Affirmative Action, um, and about our belief in inclusivity and, and we don't discriminate against anybody. And we do that because we have to, right. because it's required. But we usually do it at the back end of the workshop. So while you're filling out an evaluation, we've got our affirmative action statement up on the screen. No one's reading it, right? <laughs> when I do local government workshops, I put that slide first in big letters and we look at it. Because I say, if you don't embrace this tenet mm-hmm. of inclusivity and e- equal treatment, mm-hmm. then you don't belong in local government. Mm-hmm. Now, without taking a political stand, I think that's pretty easy to say. 
It is. And you'll be serving all the people, not Absolutely. just the people you agree Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of all the people, you want to talk about wards? Sure. Let's talk wards. Okay, so there's two ways to get elected. One is at large. Okay. And the other is by some subset of the municipality. In Chambersburg, that would be wards. So Chambersburg is split into five, five wards. Five yep. wards. And so two, two council members from each ward. Two from each ward. Thank you. Yep. So <laughs> if you live in Jeremy's end of town, you can vote for two people from your own neighborhood. Once you're elected, you're governing the whole borough. Right. And most elected officials get out of that ward mentality and start representing the whole town. The, the whole town. But you there, can only run for these positions if you live here in the borough. Right. Correct? Right. In townships, there are two kinds of townships. Remember, we were talking about classes, and there's, mm-hmm. they're divided by population density. So the higher density townships are the ones that are more suburban. They have more people per square mile. Mm-hmm. We don't have any townships of the first class in Franklin County because we're pretty rural once yeah. you get out of the boroughs. But in second-class townships, you can't run that way. You can only run at large. Okay. okay. For school district, you can run. It, it's like boroughs. Uh, you could have wards or you could not. Mercersburg elects everybody at large. Chambersburg elects everybody, elects people in wards. Mm-hmm. Half the school districts in Franklin County elect by, and in the school district it's called region, mm-hmm. and half of them elect at large. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you want to find out if you're brand new to this whole idea of local government is how are people elected in your community? And let's remember one name. Gene Byers. Gene Byers. Yeah. <laughs> because this, this, is, this is getting confusing. I'm trying to follow, and I just keep thinking, I'd like to speak with Gene now. <laughs> and I, yeah. she's, she, they, they must have a new office right now. I don't know where, they, where exactly they are in the courthouse with the construction going on. Oh, yeah. But, I don't know. But uh, they're around there question. somewhere. Go find someone to ask. They're very helpful. <laughs> and again, shameless promotion for Penn State Extension. Please we have do. A, we have an online course. It's very inexpensive. I think it's $69. And... If you register for this, it's available to you for a whole year, and it it talks about the structure of local government. Mm-hmm. It talks about ways to get involved, just in terms of being a good citizen advocate, too, mm-hmm. not necessarily running for office. But then if you do want to run, it walks you through painfully, step-by-step, how to fill out the petition, how to do the statement of financial interest, how to do campaign finance reporting. Mm-hmm. And, and my make friend sure you... Gene Byers helped vet the course. So. <laughs> and make sure oh, you do, okay, everything, <laughs> do everything according to the dates that they give you. Because yep. that's another way they can come bump you off is uh, if you miss a date, technicalities. Yeah. Uh, are these hurdles a good thing? Because you, you could make an argument they are. It, it weeds out the uncommitted. Right. Well, I'm not sure that they were originally established as a, a criteria, you know, for a commitment criteria to say, you know, right, you got to right. be really serious. And some of them make sense. The statement of financial interest absolutely makes sense. We need to know up front if you have a conflict of, of interest that's going to be a problem. And in state terms, conflict of interest means conflict of financial interest. What would Give me an example of that. Uh, you're going to run for office in the borough and, uh, you own the company that, uh, repairs all the street sweepers and dump trucks. So somehow you have to either isolate yourself from that. We have that issue at the national level too. What they ask for is any debts above a certain amount. So, and who, who holds that? 
uh, loan. So this is so interesting. And whether you've been given <laughs> gifts or right. anything. This is like so that. interesting here at the so, local <laughs> level. The accountability is so great. Yeah, isn't and that yet, nice? <laughs> and so I think that's important. I think campaign finance report reporting, although it's really not very strenuous. I think that's important. We need to know where the money comes from. In terms of all the rules around petitions and exact names and that kind of thing, I don't know if there is. I'm sure there were good reasons when those regulations were first promulgated, but you got to wonder if there's a way to streamline that and make it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So, Because well-meaning, well-intended people get kicked off ballots for technicalities. Right. That or, doesn't seem sporting. Uh, not at all. Or they, they get suppressed from voter rolls for uh, any number of reasons. So, I, I, yeah. I'll just remind the dates here. I have them in front of me. It's February 19th to start your uh, petition circulation, and March 12th is the deadline to turn those in. Yeah. So. And uh, we have a webinar coming up. Penn State Extension, if you go up to extension.psu.edu and and type in toss your hat, it'll show up, toss your hat in the ring. It's February 12th. Okay. So folks still have time to do that, and we're offering it twice, once at noon and once at 7 p.m. to try and accommodate folks. And you can also just call your extension office. Now, in Franklin County, uh, I work in the Adams County Extension Office, so Franklin County, if you call them and ask questions, they're going to kick you over to me in Adams County, and that's great. Be happy to answer questions. Okay. There are not a lot of us with this expertise around the state, but we do work statewide, so mm-hmm. we'll get in touch with you. Well, I got to thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been enlightening. Uh, I hope some of the listeners, at the very least, start to get a little more involved in local government, even if that just means going to school board meetings or borough council meetings and uh, see what happens. And it, it does impact us all directly. Got to tell yep. you, most local government officials are pretty lonely at those meetings unless something really big is going on the only people they see is staff so they would love it yeah they can be quite interesting right pete oh they definitely can be interesting uh yeah full disclosure jeremy and i well you you were on council at the time but uh we were trying to get a mural done here locally and according to some of the borough members that says the most highly attended council meeting over a mural. How about that? Over over some art. Yeah. <laughs> so again, thank you for your time you. and your expertise. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank yep. you. Thank you. And uh, find us online at progresspod.org. Send us an email to progresspod at gmail.com. <laughs>